Hey friends, welcome back to the Love and Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Faleta, and I'm so glad you're tuning into these candid conversations about love, sex, dating, singleness, and marriage. For those of you who don't know me or are tuning in for the first time, I'm a licensed professional counselor and author specializing in relationship issues. I also run the relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaching millions of people with the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. If you've tuned into the podcast before, you know it's a hotline style show, meaning people call in or write in with their relationship questions, and I answer them on this show in short, practical, bite-sized answers. If you have a question that you want me to answer on the show, send it via email or voice memo to Deborah at truelovedates.com or check out my podcast page, truelovedates.com slash love and relationships, and I'll do my best to get it answered on one of the episodes. So let's get started. Today's question comes from Mary from Chicago. Hey, Deborah, I'm really struggling with my sex drive, or should I say, lack thereof. My husband and I have been married for nine years, and we have a great relationship, but lately I find that I'm never in the mood for sex, and it's become a point of stress. What can my husband and I do to work through this issue? Today, I'm excited to have Sheila Gregoire joining me to tag team this question about sex. Sheila is a blogger, author, and speaker about all things sex and marriage. Her book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, is one of the best I've read on the subject, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have her joining me today. Sheila, it's so great to have you today on the Love and Relationships podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Well, thanks for having me. I love you, Deb. I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) Sheila is so much more than an amazing author to me. She's also a good friend. And this is such an exciting opportunity just to be able to chit chat and and record it. Like, this is so great, Sheila. Yeah, we could talk about sex. I know. (laughs) Seriously. So as you heard in the question, um, you know, this woman is struggling with her sex life. And And one thing that's unique to this specific question that came in, um, not only have they been married for nine years, but she says that they have a good relationship. Like this isn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling with their connection. They have a good relationship, but she is never in the mood and it's starting to cause stress in their marriage. And Mm -hmm. Um, when I was gathering data for choosing marriage, one of the things that came to the surface was, first of all, 80% of married couples reported having sexual problems in their marriage. And one, one myth I just wanted to spell right at the get go before we get started is that just because you wait for sex and just because you do the right things doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing, you know, just because you wait doesn't mean it's always going to be great. And these are just some of the myths that we need to dispel so that we can be prepared when we get into marriage that, yeah, there might be problem spots, but that doesn't mean we can't navigate them. And one of the number one problem spots that came up with couples is differences in sex drive. And that's why I have Sheila joining me today, guys, because this is her thing. And you've probably heard of her book, A Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. It's an awesome 
book. And I was just telling her right before we started recording that I thought I was candid, but then when you read Sheila's stuff, you realize, okay, there's a whole other level of candid Mm -hmm. and her work is amazing. So Sheila, I can't wait to get your take on this subject. In your experience, how common is it for a couple with a good relationship to start having differences in their sex drive? I think it's almost universal, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I've never met a couple where their libidos are the same. Honestly, I really haven't. Now, in some couples, it doesn't cause a lot of problems because even though your libido might not be the same, you figure out ways to work around it. You're both giving and it all works out. But I've never met a couple where they have identical libidos. So I think every couple to some extent struggles with this. Yes, I agree with you. It's, It's so common. And again, it was the number one issue that came up in these surveys that I was taking. So it's something that a lot of people are struggling with. But I think part of the problem is there's a struggle, but but there's not really a safe place to talk about the struggle. Um, there's oh, there, yeah. there's not like, many people Google talking it. about it. You don't want to Google it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to Google it necessarily because who knows what will come up, you know? And, and, and I think you're right. I honestly think that some people are literally just like, okay, I can't Google it because I don't want to stumble across a bunch of porn. And then I can't talk to anybody about it because who am I going to chit-chat about my sex drive at Starbucks? And And they also don't know that other people may be struggling with this outside of those stereotypes that you see in movies and commercials, which drive me nuts. Uh, Speaking of stereotypes, I think, and I believe you would agree with me, Sheila, that it is really important that we don't stereotype this as a female issue. Oh, yeah. Like when I did my surveys for the Good Girls Guide, what I found was that um, about 24% of couples it's actually her with the higher sex drive. And I would think that in the general population, it's higher than that because I was looking mostly at people with really good marriages. So, um, and there's, there's different reasons why, why guys can have no sex drive, but definitely this is not always the woman with the lower sex drive. Not at all. Right. And I think sometimes when it is the woman who's struggling with the higher sex drive, they can start to panic. Yeah. And there's, there's very few resources out there for them because we always portray it as the guy wants sex all the time. And so you start to feel like what's wrong with me and, um, and what's wrong with my husband. And that's a very lonely place to be. You know, if you're the woman with a lower sex drive, well, there's tons of stuff out there for you, but there's not a lot of stuff out there when it's the woman with the higher sex drive. Right. Absolutely. So this is an episode that applies to male and female. And I think, Um, something that is important to listen to together as a couple as we're talking through some of this stuff because this isn't just a female issue and it's 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 typically portrayed as that but we need to really uh, be deliberate about getting rid of that myth because this applies to both parties okay Mm -hmm. let's talk through some practical things here how can a couple navigate this stuff. I mean, you write about this stuff, you know, you live, breathe, talk, sex. (laughs) Um, So tell us, you know, what have you come across and, and what's helpful? Well, let's get back to your letter writer for a sec. So, um, cause, cause even though we can have marriages where she has the higher sex drive versus him having the higher sex drive, the reasons are actually quite different. So we do have to look at them separately, even though, you know, it, it does seem like it's the same problem, but it, it, it doesn't manifest itself the same way. So let's just look at women for a second who have a good marriage. They really love their husbands. They feel connected to their husbands, but they just don't want sex. 
And I think this is perfectly normal for all kinds of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is that we women do not understand how libido works for women. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> because if you watch any movie, any TV show, whatever, the plot when it comes to sex is always identical. Yeah. And it goes like this. So the couple is together and they start to pant and then they kiss and then the clothes come off and then they end up in bed. And whatever you're watching, that's what happens, right? You right. pant. That's and what happens. Pant and then kiss and then clothes and then bed. And so we start to think that is what sex is. Pant, kiss, close, bed. And so there you are at home and you're waiting to pant. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing's happening, right? Because that's not how sex actually works for women at all. Right. Um, it's like when, you, when you're lying in bed at night and you're thinking to yourself, does he want to tonight? I bet he wants to. I wonder if he's like just waiting for me to make a move, but I don't know if I want to. I mean, like what time is it? Like if I get to sleep right now, what time are the kids going to get up? How much sleep am I going to get? How much, how much time will it take if we have sex? Right. And you go through all these stupid things in our head. And that's what we tend to do is that we are waiting for our bodies to tell us, Hey, you know, what would be really great is to have sex right now. Right. <laughs> And our bodies don't tend to tell us that. Um, they did a very large survey at the University of British Columbia um, a couple of years ago. And what they found is that while for men, arousal preceded making love. So most guys are already totally ready to go before you really start. Yeah. Um, for women, arousal didn't really kick in until after you started. Hmm. That's really so interesting. And, and it doesn't mean that they don't enjoy sex. Like right. they, they might, you know, that encounter might end in her orgasm, whatever. Like it might've been a really, really satisfying encounter, but she was not aroused when they started. Right. She can't follow <laughs> and, her feelings into it. Right. And, and that's what women need to understand is that our sex drives are almost entirely in our heads. Yeah. Okay. Like we need to decide this is going to be good for us. So instead of, instead of lying in bed at night thinking, does he want to? Well, I don't know. Do I want to? Well, I'm not sure. You know, we need to start saying, look, body, I have had a hard day. I have had kids hanging off of me all day. I've had people making demands on me and I deserve to feel amazing. And I have an amazing husband and this is going to be great. So we are going to do this and it'll be awesome. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a pep talk, but, but seriously, uh, you, your mind has to go first. Sometimes your mind has to go before your body. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. And I talk about this a lot in my Boost Your Libido course too, is that, you know, we need to understand that libido does not work the way the media tells us. And our libido does not work the way, the way that men's does either. And that's for very good reason, I think, because if you look at the way that we were designed, it's like women need to decide that we're going to enjoy it. Okay, most women, and I'm not saying all women, but a lot of women, we don't automatically feel good. Like one night he could do something to you that has you in raptures, okay? And then three nights later, he could be doing exactly the same thing, all right? Like move for move, exactly the same. And you could be lying there thinking, will you just get it over with? Because I want to get to sleep. You know, it's not about what he's doing. Right. It's about what you're thinking. Right. And this is the key thing. When we're deciding that we're going to enjoy it and we're concentrating on our bodies and we're concentrating on our husbands, sex tends to work well. But when you lie there and you just think, well, one of these days he'll hit the right spot and things will be good and you allow your mind to drift, it doesn't matter if he hits the right spot. You're not right. going to feel it because if your mind's not engaged, your body doesn't follow. 
Yeah, so much of it is in the brain and so much of it is a choice, like so many things in marriage. And I think you're right. We put sex in this separate category. I mean, we can all agree, like some nights you're not going to feel like talking and you choose to talk. Some nights you're not going to feel like doing the dishes, but you choose to do the dishes because you love each other and you want to serve each other. But we kind of put sex in a separate category of, I'm going to wait till I'm in the mood. I'm going to wait till I feel it. But if you look at every other part of marriage, how often are you feeling it when it comes to service, when it comes to love, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to sacrifice? It's like, there's not often times that you're going to find your body feeling drawn to doing those things. And you just have to make that choice. You do. And and the thing to remember is that when you do make that choice, usually you will enjoy it too. It's yeah. not like making the choice just for him, which is a good idea in and of itself. But, but it's like, we're doing this because that feeling of closeness, that, that mutual fun that you have is really good for you as well. I mean, it even helps you sleep better for pity's sake. So if you're exhausted, you know, one of the best things you can say is come put me to sleep, baby. Like let's have some fun (laughs) because you're going to sleep better anyway. Yeah. Even if you have a headache, (laughs) those endorphins, those hormones, those feelings tend to make headaches feel better. I mean, it's proven. So there's like so many benefits, physical benefits, emotional benefits, but not only that relational benefits. And again, I just want to clarify, we are talking about sex within the context of a healthy marriage, within the context of a loving relationship where you feel loved and you feel safe and, and, and you feel honored and respected. So, um, I just want to clarify because I don't want to get hate mail from people who are saying, oh, you're just advocating for women to give their bodies, but that's absolutely not what we're saying. this is, we're talking about mutual relationships, mutual connection, mutual love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit um, about the men. And what if you're out there listening and you're a man who's struggling with your libido and and you're, you, you don't feel like you're the norm because of what media tells you you're supposed to feel like? Let, tell us a little bit about um, the advice you'd give to a man. Well, that, in that case, it's a little bit different because what I found is that it's all, it's very normal for a woman to have a lower sex drive, but still be able to, um, really perform sexually when she decides to, like when she puts her mind into it, when she concentrates on sex, when she gets a new outlook, sex does tend to work, even if she doesn't feel that specific need for sex all the time with men, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, a lot of times when men do have lower libidos, they also have a much harder time performing sexually. And sometimes the reasons for a man's lower libido are actually quite toxic to a marriage. You know, women's lower libido, it could be toxic if, if a lot of it is due, um, for instance, to sexual abuse in her past that's never been um, processed and that she hasn't gotten help for. And please get help, please get help. Because if someone stole your childhood, don't let them steal your marriage as well. Yeah. Like, that's just not right. You've been so hurt and there is help out there. So please get help. Um, you know, but, but for, for guys, the biggest reason right now that guys have a lower libido is because of pornography. Um, you know, when they did studies back in the eighties, uh, about men's libido versus women's libido, it was only about 15% of marriages where she has the higher libido. And now it's almost doubled. And the big change in that time is pornography. Yeah, I believe it. 
Yeah. And, and what the problem with porn is that it rewires the brain so that what's arousing is an image or a video rather than a person. And then you, you know, when guys pair pornography with masturbation, which they do, especially, you know, in those teen years, when you're just starting to get sexual feelings, then you're, you're cementing that pathway in the brain that like sexual arousal and sexual response is linked to porn. And then you get married. And even if the guy isn't even using porn, anymore. Like even if this is a guy who has truly tried to put it behind him and he's in accountability groups and all of that stuff, his brain can still be such that he finds it very difficult to get aroused by a person. And so you need to deal with the underlying stuff as well. Absolutely. You know, and, and learn to rewire the brain. It can be done. It really can be, um, you know, learning what real intimacy is, learning how to be vulnerable and open up. Um, cause a lot of those things have been lost when guys use porn, they become very self-centered, uh, and it's hard to get over. It's really stealing a lot of marriages. So you need to see if that's the issue, um, because that doesn't get better on its own. And if your husband's using pornography, you got to deal with it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It, you know, it boggles my mind that counselors and psychologists today in the secular world are recommending pornography to increase libido in a marriage. Isn't that just absolutely drive you nuts? Oh yeah. And my husband heard that in medical school too. It's just so stupid. And it's like, it's exactly the opposite of what's going to happen. In fact, what they're finding now is that the majority of new cases of erectile dysfunction are of men under the age of 40. You know, it's not like old guys who need those little blue pills. It's young guys who've been raised on porn and now they can't perform. Um, And that's another huge reason for a man's lower libido. If they start not being able to perform, then they often do lose their libido. And that's kind of a circular, you know, that's a cycle that makes itself worse and worse. But, you know, if your husband's using porn and he tells you that he'll stop, that's great and all. But if he's not getting help, you know, like if you won't put um, filters on the computer, if you won't seek some sort of accountability, if you won't go to a group, then he's not really sorry <laughs> and yeah. he's not going to stop. Yeah, it, um, it's, a, it's a huge problem and um, something that a lot of singles, you know, sing, even singles listening to this podcast, a lot of singles are asking me about masturbation and, um, you know, it seems so harmless sometimes outside of marriage. It's like, well, I'm single. I'm trying to deal with all these emotions, all these feelings, this drive that I have. And again, we're going to do a whole episode on masturbation. But what I will say and what Sheila alluded to is it's dangerous because it trains your body. It trains your brain. Masturbation paired with pornography trains Mm -hmm. your brain to prefer something over a real human being, something, you know, really you're preferring yourself and the images in your brain over what somebody else can do for you. And when you get wired that way, it's really hard to unwire. And that's why learning to have accountability, learning to have control of your sex drive before marriage is just as important as learning to control your sex drive within marriage and deal with those desires within marriage. And if you didn't listen already, we did an episode all about sex drive as a single. That was season one. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that and be encouraged that there is hope to dealing with this stuff because your sex drive before marriage 
and and how you train it before marriage is going to come right into marriage with you. You bring all of that baggage with you into marriage, and then it's so much harder to deal with. So it's really yep. important to take this stuff seriously. And and there is hope. There is hope for this stuff. I know so many people that are thriving in this area of their life. I'm not saying perfection, but I am saying thriving and moving towards healing each and every single day. So Yeah, and, and, yeah, and let's just also remember that not all porn users are male. You know, 30% of them are female. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and porn really affects women as well. It's just not necessarily as visible because the problem that women run into is then when you're having sex, you start fantasizing about pornography in order to get aroused. And he can't even tell that you're doing that. So it doesn't, it, it is sexual dysfunction, but it doesn't, it's not an obvious one. Right. <laughs> and she can get away with it for a lot longer. Right. Um, and that really can wreck intimacy. Absolutely. One thing that I want to add here too, you know, when we talk about a spouse that's struggling, I I just, what I don't want is for people just to jump to the conclusion that my husband doesn't want sex. That must mean he's looking at porn because that may not be the issue. No. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and, and yes, let's look at some physical issues too. You know, um, depression can really cause a guy's libido to fall. A lot of antidepressants can cause a guy's libido to fall. Um, just being really out of shape, you know, obesity can affect all of us. Yeah. Um, and that that does need to be dealt with. And I wish we could talk more about that being a marriage issue. I, you know, everyone's so afraid to address those issues, but get healthy for your spouse. It matters. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Getting healthy physically, um, not just weight issues, but like it, it affects every part of your body. It affects your hormones. It affects your, your, yeah. your, the chemicals in your, in your brain. It affects everything. Yeah, getting healthy is a way to love your spouse and your kids, you know, and, and I t- you, nobody wants their mother to break a hip when she's 63, right? So, like, you just get healthy while you can. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and so it, it could just be an honest-goodness health issue. And I think um, getting checked by a doctor when there isn't an obvious reason when it's a guy is really important because I know so many men where it's just been low testosterone, and that's actually pretty easy to fix in guys. And I've had so many women comment on my blog blog at to love, honor, and vacuum.com saying, you know, for years we fought about this and then he started getting the testosterone shots and he's a totally different person. And our marriage is so amazing. And I wish we had just done it earlier. Wow. So, you know, if it's, if there's not an obvious cause, just go to your doctor. Now for women, you know, libido is often lower just because we don't recognize how libido works. But I will say that as a woman, if you never get aroused when he's touching you, um, if you never have dreams about sex at all, <laughs> um, and that, that's one of the big tells, you know, because most of us do have sex dreams, not all the time, yeah. but uh, especially if you wake up early in the morning, if you wake up at four in the morning and then you go back to sleep, that's the key time right. <laughs> when, when women are most likely to have those dreams. If you don't have any ever, um, it's also a good idea to get your hormones levels checked because that, that isn't necessarily normal. Yeah, that's good to know. So those are the times when you should seek medical advice and also consider counseling. You know, I think one of the issues that we face and see as counselors is when there is a lack in a, of emotional connection and mm-hmm. a lack of intimacy between two people, they're going to struggle with their sex drive. They're going to struggle with their desire towards each other. So it's really important to learn to communicate about this stuff. And one thing that I've been really 
um, surprised by, which I say surprised, but I'm not really surprised, but it, it just, when, when you see the, that so many people are struggling to talk about these issues, like they don't, they're, they're embarrassed to talk about sex years into their marriage. It's something they've never gotten comfortable with. And I think with Christians, a lot of times sex is such a taboo issue before marriage, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden when you're in marriage, you don't know how to talk about it. You don't know how to bring it up. You don't know how to communicate about it. You don't know how to tell your spouse what you need, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what to do, what not yeah. to do. Because and that's reason for low libido because it feels terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they haven't learned. We haven't learned, you know, like women haven't learned about themselves and some, some women don't even know what feels good for them. And, yeah. and, 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 and some men don't even know how to communicate what feels good for them. So this is just an important thing to learn to talk about sex. And this is why books and resources are so important because they're going to give you the words that you need and the conversations that you need to start having with your partner about some of these issues. Wouldn't you agree, Sheila, just talking through some of this stuff? Absolutely. Communication is the number one thing because when we can just say this stuff, we can solve a lot of issues, but most people just don't talk about it. And to that, I would say like, you know, if God made something to be this amazing, why would you miss out on it? You know, you don't want to spend 10 or 15 years not talking about it and then finally realizing I got to do something. But then you've lost those 10 to 15 years. You know, like, let's let's talk about it, especially in the early days. Um, and there really is so much that you can do. You know, <laughs> I think it's so funny because I talk about sex all the time. This is the number one. I have a talk I give around North America on sex. I've written all kinds of books on sex. I'm writing another book on sex. I have a blog on sex. Sex was the worst part part of my marriage for the first time. <laughs> I had physical pain. It wasn't working. I felt used. He felt alone. Like it was terrible. And I laugh about it now because I think God gave me such a terrible sex life so that I could understand what other people go through and so that I would have something to say. You know? Yeah, he gave you a message, that's for sure. And a passion for it. Yeah. But you know, that's the thing. Even if it's really bad, believe me, you could not possibly have a worse sex life than I did when we were first married. Like even if it's really bad now, it can get better when you just learn about your body and when you learn how to talk about it. And when you just relax, you know, like relax and realize, okay, we're going to be married for several decades, hopefully God willing, you know, yeah. Um, this is a journey. And so if it doesn't work perfectly right off the bat, that's okay. We don't need to see it as a pass fail thing. Let's just have fun getting to know each other. Um, let's have fun trying new things, experimenting, figuring out what works, <laughs> you know, and if it doesn't work perfectly all the time, that's okay. Um, but let's keep trying and let's not clam up about it. Let's just keep trying and make it the most fun research project you'll ever do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I-, I love that because we really need to change our attitude about sex. And one thing that I see is a lot of couples, you know, like this caller today, you know, 10 years into marriage, for example, 20 years into marriage, people are like, well, I guess it's not supposed to be good after a while anyway. So they just kind of give up on it. You know, they kind of put it on the back burner, but this is an important area in a marriage and something that, that God made for us to enjoy throughout marriage and something that we need to cultivate. And one thing that I want to add before we close our conversation today it's important that you also understand what's norm for the couple next door 
may not be norm for you and your spouse. So the expectations Mm -hmm. that you put on yourself, what you're seeing in the movies, what you're hearing other people talk about, like you got to find what works for you. A lot of people ask me, well, what's the norm for sex and marriage? What's the normal amount of times to have sex? How do we know we're normal? How do we know we're abnormal? I took some surveys on this and I bet you did too at some point, Sheila, right? And, And one thing I found was that what was normal for some people was one to two times a week. Like the one of the, the, the one of the number one answers was one to two times a week, but closely following that was one to two times a month. So yeah. it's like one or two times a week and one to two times a month are the top two answers, which tells you there's such a difference in range of what's normal for a couple. And each couple brings their own desires, their own needs into a relationship. And so you're not doing this because it's what you're supposed to do or what you think is the right amount of sex to have. You have to find what works for you and your spouse and that becomes your norm. And that's why communication is so key. Would would you agree with that, Sheila? I would. Although I I would say like, I found, I found those same numbers as well. And and I just, I, I found myself really sad by the number of couples that are making love like once a month or something, because even though that might be normal for a large percentage of couples, I think, I still think you're missing out on a lot. And so I would just encourage you if you're in that group, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you're wrong or that you're bad or or anything like that. I'm just saying God made more for us. (laughs) And, you know, if you never have a libido, if you could, if sex, you could just take it or leave it. If it seems more of a bother than it should be, I get that. I really do get that. But I just want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, sex can be actually a really fun, energizing part of your marriage, something that that you really look forward to and that makes you feel amazing. Um, And so if you're just sort of stuck in that rut, don't stay there. I guess that's just what I would say. I love that. I love that because it's like, okay, what's the next level? How can we make this area even better? And and I think it's important to talk through with your spouse and to kind of gauge the level of satisfaction each of you are having. I mean, let's be honest. I know from as a counselor, I know that couples are not sitting down on a regular basis and asking these questions. Are you satisfied with our sex life? How are things going? What do you think we could work on? What areas could we grow in? Are, are, do you think we're having sex frequently enough? We need to be having these conversations on a regular basis, but unfortunately the conversations aren't happening. And so being able to talk through this stuff with your spouse, get on the same page and set some goals and, and, and push yourselves. Like, how can we take this area of our life to the next level? And, and like Sheila said, there's hope and God wants best for you. God wants you to enjoy this gift that he's given you throughout your marriage. So uh, thank you so much, Sheila. That was just really challenging and eye-opening and informative. And I know that um, your information is going to help so many people. And guys, if you haven't read Sheila's blog or dove into her books, I challenge you, take some time. You've got to learn. You've got to know what healthy sex looks like and how to achieve those things. Um, Not based on what Hollywood is telling you, 
but based on scientific research, based on psychology, and based on God's Word. Um, There's so much to learn and so many areas to grow. So I challenge you to go check out her stuff, and I'm going to have links to all of her resources as well as a coupon code for her Boost Your Libido course in the show notes. So make sure to go check that out and connect with Sheila. Sheila, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks, Deb. It's been a lot of fun. Yes. So good to have you, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today. I hope this episode encouraged you and gave you some practical steps to take when it comes to your love life and your sex life. Don't forget to go and connect with Sheila on social media or at her blog to love honorandvacuum.com and check out her book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, as well as her Boost Your Libido course, which I'll be linking to in the show notes. And friends, please keep sending me all your relationship questions. I want to hear what you've got going on. Go to truelovedates.com slash love and relationships or send your questions via voice memo to deborah at truelovedates.com. If you're loving what you're hearing on this show, I invite you to check out my blog, truelovedates.com, or either of my books, True Love Dates or Choosing Marriage, and get serious about getting information that's going to help you get healthy and move you in the direction of healthy relationships. Also, help us get the word out about this podcast by leaving your five-star review on iTunes, and then connect with me on Facebook or Instagram at True Love Dates, and give me a shout out. I'm Deborah Faleta, and it was so great being together again today, and I can't wait to chat with you next week. Take care. Thank you.